Hello everyone, this is The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and we are delighted to be back with you and thank you so much for joining us in what is a very difficult time for everyone. Joining me on the podcast today, it is Gregor Robertson and Matt Dickinson. Social distancing, of course, continues here on the pod as well, but we are very much London-centric. I'm here at our London studio. Gregor is in East London and Matt is in the southwest of the capital. Gregor and Matt, hello. Hello. Hi, Natalie. How are you both coping right now? Good. Just staring out, outside at some glorious sunshine, wishing I could be outside. But mm. we're doing we're doing okay. Uh, well, it's, it sort of feels like day three in the Big Brother house, doesn't it? You know, it's like we're <laughs> we're it's it's too it's too early to be. Um, uh, well, I think yeah, we're 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 cobbling, cobbling through, but um, yeah, it's a good uh, good couple of months at least ahead of this, I think. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Well, here on The Game Podcast, we're going to do our best to keep you informed and right up to date with all the latest sporting news around the coronavirus pandemic, as well as try and keep you entertained in what is a difficult time for everyone. And one story that may have gone under the radar amidst all the madness is Adam Rooney's transfer. Yeah, that is right. It's a transfer in the National League from Salford City to Solihull. He made the move on the 13th of March because there is no transfer window for National League clubs. It wasn't long after that the National League then joined the Premier League, EFL, Women's Super League and the Women's Championship in halting matches. So that means Rooney, who is 31, has to wait a little while to make his debut for his new club. Gregor, you caught up with Adam Rooney over the weekend. How is he feeling about it all? Um, he's he's doing OK. I think it's just he finds it very strange that... Um, He'd been at his club for more than a week now, and I think he'd seen them for. At the time I spoke to him, he'd seen his teammates for all of two hours in one training session. Um, so yeah, it's certainly one of the, the strangest days um, in footballing history to complete a transfer. Probably, um, I mean, some listeners might not know Adam Rooney. He he um, is a player who caused a bit of a stir when he he signed for Salford City from Aberdeen in 2018, I think. People sort of thought to themselves, why would you leave um, a team in, in the SPL, often in cup finals in Europe, uh, for a League Two club? Um, and probably through accusations of, of avarice, avarice towards him. <laughs> so some people might remember him for, for that. But um, he obviously made this this move. I think the interest came up a few days earlier and he made the, the move was completed at 11am on Friday, Friday morning. And... He knew that obviously there was a, the news was was beginning to circulate about about the sort of impact that coronavirus could have on on the game, and he he thought perhaps that they had a game that night against Harrogate Town. He thought that it could be behind closed doors, um, so he signed at 11 a.m. and then almost instantly, the EFL and the Premier League announced they were shutting down, and then a few hours later, Harrogate. Um, said that they had four players showing symptoms and in self-isolation. Mm. Um, and as he's trained, as he says, he's trained once since. So really, in the, in the day he signed, 
um, the whole football went into meltdown and he's kind of left thinking, when could I possibly make my debut for this football club? <laughs> I mean, it's quite an exceptional story in, in that respect. And he's barely had any time to get to know any of his new teammates. And I suppose the same could be said for like the fitness coaches as, as well, because presumably now a lot of these players may well have to be doing their own personal fitness work would they have been able to even build some sort of regime for him? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you, you said that at that level, the players are sto- told to stay away from public gyms. You know, mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of people, football footballers on social media, working out in their gyms at home. That's not the world that, in which these these guys live. So it's you know down at his local park, he might have been given a heart rate monitor or a, a GPS thing if he's fortunate to. So the club can record what he's been doing and, and he'll be given a programme, maybe on WhatsApp, things like that. So it's pretty rudimentary stuff. Um, and there's also, you know, he, I think he was planning on, on moving moving from the northwest to the Midlands and getting his getting his son and starting in a new school. And, um, you know, all these things that you don't really think of um, and probably aren't happening anywhere else, they're all being put on the back burner for him. And it's, like, it's almost like he signed for a new club. It was a new beginning. It's been completely frozen, um, and he also sort of went into the things about, like all of us, he has family members who are, uh, you know, a bit, a bit vulnerable, and he's kind of a bit isolated um, from them. Um, so it's just it was just kind of an interesting thing to speak to, to speak to a player who, you know, that was a transfer is always a a, a new beginning and a, a kind of time of optimism, and almost instantly it was frozen in time and and. Uh, he does not know. He kind of said, he said, it could be six months until I make my debut. And then he yeah. laughed afterwards. But we both knew that he might be right. Yeah. Uh, of course, Matt, in the grand scheme of things, uh, in what's happening right now in the world, making your debut or not is no big thing. But Rooney's situation echoes the uncertainty of the times that we're living in. Oh, completely. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure we're all having conversations with friends across different sectors and you suddenly realise that there is not... There's no one who is, you know, certainly in a, a work and business and environment who is not going to be colossally um, affected by this. You know, I mean, as I'm sure we're all saying the only people who are gaining on this are the, the supermarkets and uh, the dogs who have never been walked so much, as far as I can tell. <laughs> you know, every other sector of society is is taking a, a is, you know, going to take a, a hit of some sort or another. But it's, you know, it. I think it's I'm struck by that story as much for the personal human side as the mm. the sport side as 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 Gregor says it's you know it's we're all living in un, in uncertain times but if you are you know if you were expecting to you know move house or to I mean you know uh, you know especially with family involved or I mean to be honest you know broadening it out away from a football I know someone who lost a, a parent um, very recently and, and suddenly you know you can't make funeral arrangements and you, you know you imagine the complications suddenly involved in in trying to do those sorts of things at what's a, a, a such a you know difficult time to you know you can't get more than two people together so it's it's like you know the it's this, the personal side of all this that um, I think really makes makes the impact yeah, I've written I've uh... I've written like you know three or four things in the last week, and I think in every single piece I've I've intentionally said I have to caveat any sort of idea of there's been a hardship with mm. you know putting it in the broader context of the times we're living in. Um, 
but you know it's, it is interesting to hear these little human stories of of of, uh, of how it's affecting footballers as well and, and there's one other aspect which is you know we all we maybe all saw uh, Gary Neville speaking on on Sky Sports not so long ago and saying that you know Salford are a well-backed club. They're they're fairly secure and safe, no matter what's coming. It's going to be a difficult time for a lot of lower league clubs, but you know they're backed by the class of '92 or wealthy guys and Peter Lim, who's a very wealthy guy. So Adam Rooney has left that behind and gone to Solihull Moors, who are, you know, they're, they've got Daryl Eels is um he's a wealthy individual, but he's not in their league, and without some sort of support, national league clubs are going to be in big trouble. So not only has he you know, had a, made a move. He's also probably left behind a little bit more of financial security uh, in the coming months. Did he, in that sense, then of what, of what you're saying, Gregor? Why has he made this move? Was he not getting into the Salford team? No, I mean he, he, he was successful at Salford. He, he, he signed for signed for them in the National League. As I say, a lot of people were uh, were surprised by that. But he scored 21 goals, I think, in in the promotion winning season, and he played a lot of football up until about. Till Christmas and January time, and and he just said that the club is is hugely ambitious, and they want to, you know, I think they they made seven or eight signings, and made a few players sort of surplus to requirements. And well, he wasn't surplus to requirements. He knew he wasn't going to play much, and he's he's thirty one. He wants to play football, uh, and he saw an opportunity to go to a club which who's quite ambitious. They actually f- finished a place in a point above Salford in the National League uh, last season. Um, although Salford obviously got promoted in the in the playoffs, so they're quite an ambitious club and they're pushing for the playoffs. And he thought this is an opportunity for me, and and I just think he was so, you know, no one could possibly have expected as you were completing your medical and and signing on the dotted line that any of this was was going to come, and you know to such a, such an extent to disrupt football. I think people were. It was just all, you know, everything moved very quickly, I think. And, and uh, he was happy to make the move. But I think um, potentially that, that, that element of security has also been lost. So, uh, as we've been saying, then it could be months before Adam Rooney gets his chance to make his Solihull Moors debut. And we've actually delved into the archives and found someone in England who had to wait even longer than that for a chance at first team football. A spare a thought for the former Liverpool goalkeeper Jorgen Nielsen. He spent four years and 11 months at Anfield without playing a competitive game. He'd signed as a 26 year old from Denmark eventually left Merseyside to go back to Denmark in the summer of 2002. Uh, he had made the bench for, well, one of the Merseyside derbies back in 1999 when the first choice keeper, Sander Vesterveld, was sent off. Nielsen sensed his moment, as you can imagine, uh, thinking this is my chance to come on the pitch. But uh, Gerard Julio had used all his subs, so Steve Staunton had to go in goal. Everton won that game 1-0. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Okay, if you've not seen it yet, make sure you take a look at a new series from The Times called The Greatest as we tackle all sports with a look at those at the very pinnacle of their game. Tom Roddy, as well as Matt, have gone head-to-head in the latest edition where they've chosen their greatest football managers of all time. Now, Tom picked Jose Mourinho for his incredible haul of 25 trophies, including four European titles, eight league and eight domestic cups across Italy, Spain, Portugal and, of course, England. Interestingly, Matt, you've disagreed with that one. We will get to your choice in a moment. But first, Gregor, who have you selected as your greatest manager of all time? Well, it has to be a Scotsman, obviously. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> but not, I'm not going to pick the one uh, that everyone would be thinking of. I mean, if we're being totally honest with his silverware hall and longevity, Sir Alex Ferguson probably has to come top. But I'm going to pick a man without whom Sir Alex Ferguson would never have been the manager he was. Uh, and actually the manager who Sir Alex Ferguson would choose as the greatest, and that's Jock Steen. Uh-huh. Um, Jock Steen, most famous for being the, the manager to uh, win the European Club, European uh, Cup for the first time with a British club in 1967. Um, so before Liverpool, Forest, Man United. Um and that Celtic team won won the competition with 10 players born within a dozen miles of Parkhead, uh, Celtic's home, and the 11th was 30 miles away. So it's like a unique feat that we'll never see again. Um, and obviously a very different era. Um, but And I know that some people I can predict, uh, possibly in the studio and almost certainly at home, will be saying, Scottish football, it's a bit, um, it's not the best, uh, as as we always hear. But this is a Celtic team that beat the great Leeds United team over two legs uh, in the 1970 European Cup semi-final, won nine consecutive league titles when Scottish football was good. Um, and in that 67 final, they beat an Inter Milan team that had won the European Cup in two of the past three seasons. Um, so obviously, this is all well before my time. Um, but I grew up. I grew up watching these feats and kind of the grainy black and white VHS footage. Um, and I will nail my colours to the mast. I was a Celtic fan growing up, so I'm a bit biased. <laughs> um, but I've also been this morning. I had a. We've all got a little bit more time on our hands, probably, and I had a look through um, one or two articles by the late great Hugh McIlvaney uh, on the Times website. Um, and the, he, there's one quote from. That, that uh, from Steen that he he got just in the build up to the final, the kind of about the style of football that Celtic played as well. I mean, it wasn't just domination. Celtic played with um, real panache at this time. Um, so Steen told McIlvaney before the game, Inter will play defensively. That's their way and it's their business. But we feel we have a duty to play the game our way and our ways to attack. Win or lose, we want to make the game worth remembering. Just to be involved in an occasion like this is trem- a tremendous honour. And we think it puts an obligation on us. We can be as hard and professional as anybody, but I mean it when I say we don't just want to win this cup. We want to win it playing good football to make neutrals glad we've done it, glad to remember how we did it. And this is what 
Machiavelli's conclusion was uh, about Jockstein. Steen's huge intelligence, his analytical gift for making the complex simple, the reach of his imagination and the natural, natural authority of his presence left me and many others better equipped to judge, convinced that nobody anywhere in the era, in any era, ever brought more formidable assets to the job of managing a football team. So we can all, we can... Uh, we can admire McIlvaney's writing for one, <laughs> but also um, he 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 always stood by. Even this was he wrote that in 2017 when it was the 50th anniversary of um, of Celtic's Lisbon Lions uh, winning team, um, and he was kind of writing that in the context of Sir Alex Ferguson as well, and and talking about all his his greatness. But the caveat was Jockstein um, for him. And for me as a Celtic fan, uh, we're still the greatest. Okay. Well, you've argued that one very well, I have to say. Um, if we look across the managers with the most trophies in England, you've got um, most successful-wise, Sir Alex Ferguson, 25 trophies. Bob Paisley, of course, at Liverpool with 13. George Ramsey at Aston Villa, 12. Arsene Wenger picked up 10 trophies in his time there. Uh, you've also got Jose Mourinho, as we mentioned before, seven trophies with Chelsea and two with Manchester United. So that is nine in general. However, Matt, you've not chosen any of those successful bosses as the greatest ever manager. Does that mean you're going to be just as biased as Gregor with his choice and go for someone <laughs> like Jerry Francis at QPR? <laughs> uh, temp- tempting. A very, very commendable and eloquent um, and persuasive yes. argument put by Gregor. Um, I was actually just checking. We did a list of 50 greatest managers uh, way back. It was uh, 2007, I saw. And um, Steen managed to make it to number 12. Um, so, I mean, you know, not, not bad, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, which idiot did that? Um, but the guy who ha- was top then is the guy who I nominated, uh, for the greatest last week, Renus Mikels. Um, is that the right pronunciation by the way? Mikels, that is, isn't it? Well, to be fair, we were discussing your choice and both myself and producer Max were like, we're not quite sure who he is. So we'll have to go with you on the pronunciation. And You're it, not sure who he is. That's outrageous. I know. Isn't this that guy, awful? This, this, this guy. I mean, he was no. He was voted uh, manager of uh, the century by FIFA in 1999. This is it. So I've read think, up on him since, and, and I realise what a great he is. So please carry on, Matt. Yeah. Well, so I think this. My um, choice of this, and I say it was an e- easy one. I think is because trophies matter. Of course, they matter, and he won. Uh, the biggest trophies at, at club and international level but it's more than that it's about a, an influence on the game and this guy's you know impact is still being seen i mean when you see um uh, basically he was the guy who uh did more than anyone to to make total football what it was uh with a great um ajax team um he set them on the way to 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 complete domination of Europe, got to the first European Cup final with them, won the first European Cup with them, they won three in a row, went to Barcelona, uh, eventually took the great Johan Cruyff with him there, set up this whole, you know, Barca Jacks system that we can see being, you know, still having its influence on the greatest football you'll see out there. Pep Guardiola owes everything to Johan Cruyff, who owes everything 
to Mikel's. That's mm. that's a you know absolute undeniable sort of thread through football history. So when you see you know that great Guardiola team with uh, Barcelona of Messi and Iniesta and Xavi and so on, that is the Mikel's influence still very much at play. This is a guy who also you know t- uh, I've I wrote about it in the piece. You know, Johan Cruyff, the great Dutch team that reached the 1974 World Cup final, should have won it, to be honest, with a blindfold on, but probably were beaten by their own sense of superiority as as, as much as Germany, but came away as one of the most loved uh, football teams of all time. He then went on with Holland, with that great generation of Van Basten and Hullet and Rijkaard, and won... The Euros with them in 1988, again, producing stunning football um, and not just stunning football, but, you know, a unique impact on the game of, of the way the game was played. You know, total football brought to us versatility in positions. It brought this this swarming of the pitch when you know make the pitch as small as you can when you lose the ball, as big as you can when you have the ball. And these are say these are lessons that we're seeing all around are still being learned by teams today that he was working on with Cruyff and and the rest back in the 60s. So I think if you're talking about a guy who proved himself, you know, a great leader, he was a a guy who, you know, he was no soft touch. He made them extraordinarily fit because that was necessary for for the for the, you know, the way they played the game. You're talking about a leader of of, of men, you're talking about one of the sharpest minds, you're talking about a guy who Cruyff said was the biggest influence on him. And I regard Cruyff as the greatest influence in the history of football. So there you go. I think beat beat that. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> you're both wrong because Thomas Frank obviously is the greatest manager uh, at present anyway. But no, you've both made very good arguments for both of your choices. I am leaning, I have to say, Gregor, I do apologise towards Matt Ugh. because his choice, that manager has, has probably had the biggest impact in football that is still being felt today. And I think that is quite incredible to have modernised the game in which he did. It's quite revolutionary, really. Is that probably the way we should describe him, Matt? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, that I think, I mean, Arrigo Saki, who was um, just above Steen, I see on the list that we had, and obviously AC Milan was in charge of just one of the, you know, those, you know, absolute one of the greatest club sides we will ever see. And, you know, um, the back-to-back um, European Cups he won there. But he said, you know, he's gone on record as saying what, you know, that Dutch team did, that Dutch era did, revolutionised the, ga- the game in a way that hasn't been seen before or since. You know, it was a genuine game-changer. And they say the fact that it's still, you know, still something that's seen to aspire to you know it's not again it's not and it's not just the winning side of it it's the aspiration and the beauty side of it is you know is is there is there a better way to watch football than when that system works to mm. its best i'm really not sure there is just out of curiosity who was uh, second and third then on that list of the top 50 you have there matt well it's interesting looking back actually because i think maybe there'll be some tweaking um uh busby actually came second which so there you go to, to Gregor, he's not is Steen even the best Scott? Uh, and Ferguson was above it as well. Ernst, Ernst Happel oh. um, made it into third because he um, was league champion in four different countries, led Holland to the 78 World Cup final, uh, and took the unfashionable Feyenoord and Hamburg to a European Cup uh, each. Shankly 
was higher than uh, Jockstein. In fact, Brian Clough's got to be up there. Mm-hmm. Bella Goodman. Absolutely. So yeah, it's yeah. There's. Uh, I mean, I have to say, Scotland. To be fair to Gregor, Scotland did feature. Uh, you know, I mean, punched way above its uh, its weight. <laughs> well represented, we could say. Uh, just to uh, just to say, we did put this question out to our Twitter followers. Uh, plenty got in touch with their views on who the greatest manager of all time is. Lots came in with Brian Clough, Adam Charles, Kevin Barnes, Andy Coleman, Chris Smith. Lots also went for Sir Alex Ferguson. I'd say it was probably a tie between those. Uh, Stephen Reid. Reeve said it was without a doubt for Alex Ferguson, but you also had Kiel Ringstrand and Adam Bateman getting involved. There was a shout for Jack, uh, Jock Steen. Thomas Leckie got involved in that. One of my favourites is from Luis Adriano, who said, in terms of managing tough circumstances and building morale in difficult times, big respect to Martin Allen, especially at Brentford, brought people together with his rather mad ma- methods, like swimming across a river in Hartlepool or whatever it was that he did. He was pretty mad, but never, ever call him uh, Mad Dog. He didn't like that. Uh, so that is it for now. Many thanks, of course, to you, Gregor, and to you, Matt, as well. You may find yourself with a little bit more time of your hands in the coming week. So do remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you this Thursday for the very latest game podcast. But in the meantime, do take care of yourselves. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.